Welcome to the Shift Spotlight Podcast. I'm Winter, your host and co-founder of the Shift Spot. We are a CEO coaching and peer advisory community of fellow business owners who are passionate about making radical shifts in their businesses and their lives. We are business transformational experts that help business owners and CEOs shift from working in the business to working on the business. My partner, Ken Paskins, and I have a combined 55 years of experience as an accomplished CEO, COO, executive coach, skill sets in sales and marketing, public relations, and peak performance for successful CEOs looking to scale their business with ease. We say here at the Shift Spot, Shift Happens, we can help. And we believe our support will help you design your business to give you the freedom and balance you deserve. Also, the Shift Spotlight is always looking for podcast guests. So go to theshiftspot.com and click on podcasts. We'd love to have you. Hey, everybody, it's Winter with the Shift Spotlight. And today we are here with Zach Ratner, and he can be found at yimbo.ai. That's Y-E-M-B-O dot A-I. So welcome, Zach. Hi, Winter. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, you are currently based in California right now, right? That is correct. And so at a high level, why don't you tell us what your company does and what you do? Sure. So Yembo is a computer vision technology company, and we wanted to find an industry that was kind of getting overlooked from the advancements happening in that space. So we sell into the home service industry. So if you're looking to get a moving quote or looking to get a property insurance quote, what Yembo does is it allows you to not have to have a person come on site. These visits are usually pretty inconvenient. They're expensive. And we have a web-based product that allows you to scan quick videos in your home. And when we're selling to moving companies, we can identify um, what's there, how much it's going to cost to do the move. And in the property insurance space, similar workflow, but more for finding the right premiums. So who is the buyer of your product? Is it the companies, not the consumer, right? Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a cost center for the company to perform the service. So it's free right. to the end user, but we provide it to the company. Okay. So what is your annual revenue? So we're doing a um, few million a year in revenue right now. And um, that's up. It's a uh, we're adding companies every couple of days. Um, we have clients in about 20 different countries in the moving industry. Uh, moving is awesome. very networked. So it's uh, it's kind of all over the place, um, which is cool. We didn't really intend to go global. But what happened was we had clients that were doing international moves. And the output of our um, inventory list that we give is uh, a visual inventory. So a traditional output in our industry is, um, think of it like a spreadsheet. There's like a list of items. Um, but mm -hmm. we'll... What the AI can provide is you can actually give pictures of what's there, which is key for planning, for preparation, for documentation purposes. So we right. have some clients that were doing moves. And um, if you're moving from, say, New York to London, you don't typically have staff all over the world. So you'll have a partner company you work with. So what was right. happening was um, these receiving agents, or they're called destination agents on the on the receiving company, would get the Yembo output and be like, hey, what is this? I want to learn more. And that kind of, um, there was some inherent network effect in the industry that kind of led us to uh, to have to translate, figure out European privacy laws, all these fun things, and um, kind of go, go global. That's awesome. So I was lucky enough, um, 2022, I got a roof replacement and the insurance company made me go around 
and take pictures like on the left side of the house, the right side of the house, the back of the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, voila, boom, here's your quote. Was I using your software and I didn't even know it? Uh, it's possible. I guess it depends on on when. Um, but uh, we we started in the insurance industry last year. So if it was before then, it might have been something else. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. But that's kind of the gist of what you do, right? Like that, that is a part of, is that how the software works? Exactly. Yeah. I think for, um, the key is, uh, in these industries, it is relatively difficult to understand the, the item of service. So in moving, it's what do you have in your home In property insurance? It's, um, like placement of things, conditions of things. And, mm-hmm. um, if you need to have a trained expert come out there, there's limited number of them. They're busy. They have to drive. There's wear and tear in the vehicle, fuel costs, all those kinds of things. So that's mm-hmm. where we see the real value of the AI coming in is it's consistent. It's available. doesn't have to drive out there. And um, it doesn't forget. Um, you can make a report. It's date and time stamped. And um, it gives kind of transparency to both sides of the equation. So people um, just understand that what we talked about is available to both sides and then you can have more like accurate relevant conversations that's awesome um so you're you're super super niche in who you're marketing to which is great right and they they say the riches is in the niches right you know like right. it, it, it's in the niches so um are there any competitors that you have i think there are but the most common one that we run into is inertia. Um, and that is because we have a process change, right? You can't just flip a switch and have these new workflows where if you're used to sending a person on site, if you're used to taking ballpark estimates over the phone and asking the client to explain, there's a workflow change that goes along with don't do that, do this instead. And that's where Mm -hmm. we see, um, you can't make something that's like 10% better and have adoption. You really need to have things that are like five, 10 times better. And that goes, um, because that gives an incentive to go through and make those workflow changes. Gotcha. Okay. And so I read that you said um, something along the lines of, I'm hearing a lot of concern about AI taking things away from us, but I'm optimistic. I believe AI will help us in ways where we are only starting to scratch the surface today. Can we dive into that and what your thoughts are there? Sure. Um, I don't think movies like Terminator help public perception of AI. Um I mean, in our industry, we use it to identify furniture items. So yeah, we do identify things and draw boxes. But I mean, if you look at the workflows that we're associating ourselves with, we're taking away the part where you need to count the number of boxes that all these books behind me would need to fit in if you were to pack up. We're not taking away building rapport with the customer. We're not taking away um, the ability to differentiate the service and understand what's really important to the client. So what we're seeing is... um, when people have pushback and they say, that sounds scary, I don't want to put AI in my sales process, uh, I'm afraid for my job, um, the vision that they have in their mind is very different from reality. And I'm seeing a mm-hmm. lot of AI use cases that are like this, because the vision they have in their mind is the robot does everything, therefore you don't need any people. Um, mm-hmm. But as someone who develops these algorithms, I can tell you uh, code crashes a lot. It has an area it works well in, it has an area it doesn't work well in. Um, and I think we're just a far way off from having AI handle everything. But we do have AI handling sifting through reams of data. And that is historically and typically a very tedious task. um, Right. Where you were, if you were to go do those kinds of things and automate with AI, you're sort of giving the person superpowers, but you're not making them irrelevant. So in our industry, we're seeing people are able to do three to five times as many surveys in one day. 
that they could mm-hmm. do before because they don't have to ask, hey, walk around your bedroom. How much clutter do you have? How many boxes do you think? Oh, four boxes or those medium boxes? Like you're you're just estimating so broadly in that case, you may as well roll dice. Um, right. But if you're able to have the AI say, okay, I see these items here, um, that conversation, it's shorter, but it's more relevant. It's more engaging and the customer didn't have to get asked as many questions. So I gotcha. think that's that's kind of the key of what I've been seeing right now is that AI in its current state today and the trajectory that I see it on is giving these additional superpowers that you can use and adopt and go and um, do things that were kind of unfathomable before. Right. And so do you have employees? We do. Yeah. We have about 40 folks in the U.S. and about 30 more internationally. Okay. So this AI is not replacing your your employees and your people problems and all of that. It's just helping streamline process and systems more than anything. Exactly. Yeah. So why did you start your own company when, you know, the statistic out there is, you know, so many businesses, they don't make it, right? So so why mm-hmm. did you decide to become an entrepreneur and start your own business? It's a great question. And I'm not sure I understood when I started how much work it was really going to be. Here we are seven years in. Um, but yeah. I think looking back, I wouldn't do anything differently. The um, there's this idea of the entrepreneurial event, which is like what what happened that made that switch flip that made you uh, become an entrepreneur. And I don't know if it's like psychologically true or not, but I think it's a useful mental model that there's like an event that kind of made it made it flip. And what happened for me was there was this this nagging idea that I couldn't get out of my head, and I had to do something about it. So what happened was I was working at a telecom giant, Qualcomm, that you may have heard of. Um, They uh, are predominantly known for the technology that has the cell phone talk to the base station. And they're in like pretty much every major (laughs) smartphone out there today. Um, But they're really big in mobile computing as well. So it's not just telecom. So I was working there for a few years and kind of got introduced to what was happening in the AI space. And my wife was working at a moving company. And um, we had recently gotten married and moved to California. So they said work from home because uh, they liked her. They didn't want her to leave when we when we got married. So I'd come home from work and I'd come back from these conventions and I'd see all these different use cases of what people were doing in the AI space. And my wife was telling me all the things that would go great when a move was well-planned and all the things that would could go wrong if you forget some operational details of. We should have sent a 24-foot truck, but we sent a 16-foot truck. So now... Um, we can't finish in one day, all these kinds of like operational headaches, where if you just had like an accurate visual of what your what the job was, what you're up against, that, that could mm-hmm. have been prevented. Um, so that, that was like kind of a signal number one. Yep. And then we were buying our house and um, our real estate agent had recently um, started a moving company as well. So he was telling me all the problems he was running into. And it's like, it seemed like every company we talked to had the same issues. So then we started talking to more moving companies, kind of one thing led to another. And we found that it wasn't even just moving, it's home services where you can't just go on amazon.com and type in move Zach's living room because everything's a little bit different that you really do need a trained eye. And the best case um, scenario that everyone is doing right now is driving out there and walking around with a pen and paper or maybe some more modernized companies would use iPads or something, but still... It was very labor intensive. It's error prone in the summer seasons where everybody's busy. A lot of times the work is subcontracted out um, with temp labor. So if there's like an issue later, that person may not even work at the company anymore to be able to kind of clarify any questions that may come up. So 
uh, one thing kind of led to another. And then we started um, doing some prototypes and kind of iterated our way from there. And I would say the biggest lesson that I've learned from that was break the big problem down into small ones is mm -hmm. um, saying, hey, I want to make AI for this new industry that doesn't have it. It's like very, very ambitious. But um, what we started with was, can I get someone to download an app and record video? Because if I can't do that, then it doesn't really matter what the AI can do. So the first product we had actually had no AI in it. It was just, hey, mover, I'll save you the drive. Can you send some? Send you know, this I'm out? just going to cut you off right here because sure. that's like a really interesting way that you said that. Like, first, can we get somebody to do this? Because if not, then why would we build mm -hmm. this? So it's almost like you need a proof of concept in order to even like try to go out there. And so how did you test that? How did you even test if somebody would be willing to download the app and record? Yeah. So how did we test and make sure that this was going to be an idea worth spending seven years of my life on? Good question. Um, the first thing that we did was we listed out what were the risk factors that if these are called them catastrophic failures, if these don't mm -hmm. work, the business isn't viable. So the two right. were, is somebody willing to download the app and go through it? And then the second was, can a trained expert look at the video that came out and give an accurate quote? Because if it's not, the information's just not there, no amount of AI is going to make it become there. Right. So what we did was we found a local moving company that had a real problem with driving because they had just one person who was doing on-site surveys, their top and bottom line revenue directly tied to how many uh, surveys this person can do in a day. Right. Um, and we gave him software for, I think it was either free or really close to free. And just said, hey, there's no AI or anything, but next time you want to do a survey, can you have the customer just record some videos and then you can watch the videos and give the quote that way? Um, and just don't do it for long, do it for like a week. Um, we gave it at Scream and Deal, but in return, I'd like to understand the data around like how accurate your quotes were, are people willing to do it, what the drop-off rate was. And what we saw was people were willing to do it and people were um, actually preferred it in, in a lot of cases. Uh, mm -hmm. There was like a niche demographic that sometimes didn't. So um, for those, we we didn't, uh, we always made it an option because could come in the house. We didn't force the user because we wanted to see if they would be willing to pick it. So you right. had to kind of present it and let them select. So we saw step one, people were willing to do it. Step two, they liked it and preferred it. They didn't have to stay home from work and wait for someone to come ring their doorbell, all that fun stuff. Um, and then the second part was we saw huge variation over the quotes they were doing before. Because if I just say how many boxes are in your bedroom, who knows what that'll be. Um, right. And then we saw that kind of got tightened down. So we saw people were willing to do it. It's faster. They're enjoying it. It's more accurate. And now we had the conduit where we could start putting the AI in and making it kind of um, streamline that workflow a little bit more. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and and so this has really been like an evolution, but you you had some really great insights very, very early on of how to build this business and, and how to grow it. Um, what would you say the hardest thing about running your own business would be? I think the hardest part about running a business is how quickly you need to handle certain things. You will be in situations you've never handled before. You can't go back to um, like this school era thinking of like, okay, I took the class. Now I'm qualified to do that thing. You need to learn on your feet. You need to learn to uh, kind of handle situations as they come up. And a lot of times the most impactful decisions that you're making at the company, you don't have as much time as you would like. You don't have as much information as you'd like, but you got to just keep moving. Um, so I would say, I think that's one area that I've really had to learn and it's not always been easy. And that's been um, 
how do you go into a situation where you're not an expert and um, go from having no baseline knowledge to something? We've had to, I'm an engineer by training. I had to do our first trade show. I've never exhibited at a trade show before, but we had to kind of figure it out. Um, we have, um, as the team is scaling, there's workflows that used to work well when you're two people, but now that you're 30, it doesn't work. Then you're 50, it breaks again. Um, so that kind of being humble enough to revisit everything that you've done, never like assume that you've got it and um find and never assume that you you know it all too right like exactly what we do at the shift spot is we are a ceo coaching and peer advisory community and like our entrepreneurs are in various stages of their journeys right but they're all business owners are all ceos and they've all gotten to exactly what you said i've had to learn this thing on the job i've had to figure it out as things went along i didn't know how to handle this and so we did it now i've got a better idea but the reason that we, you know, tested our product was, hey, look, can we get a CEO to skip some of those mistakes from right. the beginning by surrounding themselves by other CEOs who have been there, done that and or experts who have, you know, have that knowledge to give them so that you don't have to make those costly mistakes. So, um, you know, you mentioned the breaks of scaling your company at various points along the way. What do you feel are like the top the top issues that prevent you from scaling? I think the common thing that I've seen, I have it myself, I've seen it in others as well, is a reluctance to delegate is um, just speaking from personal experience. I will hold on to something for a laughably long amount of time where an outside <laughs> observer will say, um, hey, you should have handed this thing off like six months ago. But um, it can really hold someone back. I actually had uh, someone on my team say this to me a while ago, which I thought was really insightful. And that was, um, Zach, this is really being arrogant you have like one hour a week that you can spend on this. I have about 10. And to think that what you're going to do in one hour is better than what I can do in 10 is arrogant. Like, just let me, let me take the workflow. I'll do a better job than you. And it's, uh, right. I mean, no one likes to be told that they're bad at things, but it's not, that's not the really the right way to see it. I think when you're feeling defensive and kind of in over your head with too much work, that's, that's where, how it comes out. But what I've seen is there's always opportunity costs for everything. So what I wish someone told me five years ago, it's always opportunity costs for everything. So by holding on to something just because of inertia, because I did it yesterday, I did it six months ago, you're saying no to other things and um, that you don't want to kind of lose sight of the goals. And if you're just so bogged down in day-to-day -day operational work that you can't take an afternoon off to network, to scope out a new opportunity, to uh, like let... Um, do some more visionary tasks, then I think the yeah. the future of the company can be at risk. So you kind of need to see it in the in that lens that it's not um you're not just holding on to something that you're actually saying no to something else because you're holding on to this. And it's it, it, hundred percent true because you know when when you, when you start a company, it's typically like you said an entrepreneurial event that kicked it off, right? And so you and your wife chatted about the woes of your day and lo and behold became this this company but that was your baby to begin with and so then as you start growing it it's like well look i know the business nobody knew it better than me i can do this faster by the time i teach somebody how to do this i can already have it done that was my problem when i was right. first starting yeah. out my company it's like by the time i teach this assistant how to do it it's already done five times well then there was only a certain amount of houses I could sell at any given time because I was just doing right. everything. So 
you know, that that reluctance to delegate is probably the number one issue we see at the shift spot of, of what, you know, CEOs, because they believe that like somebody can, like nobody can do it better than them. The reality is, is if you hire right and you know how to interview and you know how to hire, then you're going to be hiring people better than you and that are better than, you know, you would even remotely think that you could do the job so that you can start doing those visionary things because the company will suffer if the vision isn't being delegated and and in like spread throughout the company you know you've got to have that vision spread so that the company can grow so how do you let go you know like i do the like analogy let go how do you mm-hmm. let go of things when you're hanging on too tight as a business owner yeah well i think the key is there's usually some element of truth right if i um don't give any training. I don't give any opportunities. I don't give any context. It's not reasonable to expect anybody to be able to take that workflow off of my plate. So we did something that um, kind of forced the issue at Yembo. And if you look at our remote teams, we have a team in India and we have a team in Eastern Europe. And what happens there is if you look at the time zone differences, there's not a lot of overlap in the workday. So we had, um, we wanted to move faster. We're a software team. We're building products. We wanted to move quicker. Um, but there's a lot of work that it takes to make sure that your software works on different browsers, different operating systems. So what we did was we kind of started bifurcating and we have the testing done out of India. We have the front end development done out of Eastern Europe. And then we have the like architecture system design done in the US. So what we're mm-hmm. forcing is, um, if we do this right, you get 24 hour progress and nobody burns himself out because everyone's working an eight hour day. It's just when my right. day ends, it's somebody else's day starting. But that forces you to have good written communication. It forces you to have good documentation. It forces you to kind of think through if you know that like two different people are going to be working on two different areas. You need to think about the design, how they interact with each other. Um, and there were certainly some growing pains in doing that. But I feel like where we come now is... Um, we have been able, we've been about five years into since making that change and we have um, 24 hour progress, but it really came down to figuring out like, who are all the different stakeholders? What information do they need to know? And how do I take myself out of being the only way that they can get that information? Um, right. And that I feel like has been pretty key. So now people can get trained and half the time we've had in the earlier days where we had um, trying to delegate where it didn't work it was really a failure to train or it's like the, yeah. that information that that person needs isn't available. And then as a result, nobody can succeed. Right. And we're in a different work world today where, you know, people want to grow with the company. They want to feel like they matter. And you are a younger entrepreneur and author, you know, a CTO. And, um, and, and I would assume that when, you know, maybe you didn't ever have a job before, but like, you wanted to be a part of those things. We're learning that the younger generation, they want the training. They want to grow. They want to feel important and part of something. It's not just collecting a paycheck anymore. So there's also, when you're delegating, there's ways to delegate, especially to multi-generations, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the baby boomers, they they like a lot of paper. They, they want to touch <laughs> things. They want to get memos in their little boxes, right? Whereas like, you know, a Gen Z, if it's not on text or email, like they're going to lose their mind. Holding paper is just completely mm-hmm. not okay. So you you also, and, and we've learned that there's more than five generations in the workplace at the same time in certain companies now where it's right. like <laughs> this range and the new work world requires you as the leader, the owner to be able to adjust 
to those different types of personalities and be able to train them and meet them where they are. So that's like also a whole nother aspect of running a company that a lot of people, I don't think, you know, until they're doing it full time, they don't understand. When you say that your co-founder at Yambo, is your wife the other co-founder? No, actually, at my uh, I have a co-founder who I, I worked with at Qualcomm. Um, okay. My wife and I, we had that conversation and she decided that uh, being at arm's length was was probably better to have something, <laughs> something to talk about that's not work when you come home at the end of the day. So she's yeah. a... She's a champion, but she's not an employee. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Ken and I, um, we are getting married in two days and, um, and he's my partner at the shift spot. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, we are, we are in it all day, every day. So, um, okay. So, uh, where do you see, we're going to wrap this up here in a minute, but where do you see yourself investing in your company for 2024? Like, like what are the resources that you plan to invest in next year? Sure. Yeah, we're doing a lot of interesting things in um, AI. So we've had um, we have a few products that are getting um, kind of big updates based on advancements in the state of the art. So uh, 2024, I would say for us is the year of AI, where there'll be new algorithms that are coming out, new workflows. Um, we have certain parts of our product that are getting like five to ten times faster um, and uh, more accurate, more items, more data points that we can collect. And um, I think that's that's kind of the key of how I'm seeing it scale out is there's like a big technical innovation fundamentally that makes AI technology do something it couldn't do before. And then that comes and then we start adding software workflows and making that easy to consume and digest for our customers. So, the, so um, you're investing pretty... in big T, technology, 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 right? Exactly. Yeah. We're Yembo. We always uh, say we're Yembo.ai. So we need to lead with AI when we when we do things. So what would you say to a business owner, maybe, you know, a baby boomer business owner, owner um, that is is reluctant to embrace MI, AI, um, not MI, AI, you know, especially like some of these older entrepreneurs, like they, they're, they're not incredibly tech savvy. So what would you, what would be your advice to them in terms of embracing the T? I would um, de-risk it. I would say, don't make it a big switch that you flipped and you're either in the camp or out. There are a lot of workflows where you can take AI and you can do things and it's frankly kind of mundane. Um, you can look at, um, I mean, basic ideas with chat GPT. I've seen a lot of people brainstorming with it, asking it questions, role play. Hey, I've got, um, I've got this big client pitch coming up. Here's the background of the company. Can you give me like 10 outline, 10, uh, 10 bullet points for a slide deck I could use? Like you're not, it's not really like a sea change to start. You're just kind of taking a test and saying, okay, what if we try an AI tool for this? Um, and you don't have to think of it as all or nothing. Um, companies that try to do 100% replacement of human tasks take a really long time to have technology get there. If you look at self-driving cars, I mean, Tesla's been working on it for how many years now? And we're still not yeah. quite there. So I yeah. would say just try it out and see where it works for you. And look at the places that are a bit more routine and mundane. If you have workflows that are sifting through inboxes that are looking through spreadsheets, maybe start there and mm -hmm. um, see if you save time. And if you don't save time and if it doesn't make you more efficient, then maybe move on and look at something else. But I would um, just get started is the mantra that I would that I would say over and over again is don't just turn your nose up at it because it's AI. AI is a cool buzzword, but it should be a means to an end. And if you're not getting an end out of it, then 
maybe you should look elsewhere for your workflows. I love that. I love that. It, it, it's true. It is a buzzword. And and I don't think, I, I think chat GPT is what people think of when they think of AI, but it, it's so much more than that. And it, if you don't look at it in a different way, you you probably will just find yourself sort of going in and typing a few cool paragraphs in chat GPT, not really mm-hmm. understanding that it, it really can change your life in terms of streamlining things. So um, so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, the easiest way would be to go to yimbo.ai, right? Yep, that's, uh, that's our website. We have an about page. You can see the team. You can have me on LinkedIn there. I've got a contact form. So feel free to check it out. (laughs) Okay, awesome. I loved um, having you today. And I'm so impressed with your success at at such a young age. And it's really, really cool to see how how you've kind of um, disrupted an industry, right? And uh, I, I come from the real estate background and disruption is like such a scary word where, where we come from, but it's, it's so necessary and it does keep people right. on their toes. And I, I think, I think I'm going to watch you because I think you're going to be keeping people on their toes for a while. Well, thank you, Winter. Appreciate you having me on the show and uh, have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Winter here. Thank you so much for listening to the Shift Spotlight podcast. If you are a business owner, CEO, founder, or co-founder of a service-based business with 11 to 100 employees and have zero to nine years of experience seeking recognition for your exceptional expertise while gaining exposure through our remarkable network, well, we are actively searching for podcast guests who can bring their inspiring stories to light, to the spotlight, and we would love to showcase your journey. Please visit theshiftspot.com forward slash podcast to apply today. And if you are a listener, I'd love to give a shout out to your business, to our whole audience for free. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow our newsletter on LinkedIn by searching The Shift Spot through LinkedIn. I'd love to just even have you pop by and say hello because I'd love to meet you. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot, truly, to me and my team. We believe every person has a message that can positively impact the world. And we love our community who listens and shares our program. Together, we are empowering one another as shift leaders. Hit subscribe to be inspired and motivated. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you and your growing business. We will see you next time.